Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. This week's episode will go alongside the blog post for October 21st. As always, in that post, I will link to all the books, all the quotes, and the miscellaneous things that I'll be mentioning. You can find the entry on tbqsbookpalace.com. If you notice any differences in the audio today, I do apologize. I'm trying something different, and I've been recording each book chat as I finish the book rather than doing all of it at the end of the week. I'm going to see if this works out. If not, then I'll go back to doing the entire one-hour thing in one sitting. But I'm just going to tell you guys, that was getting really, really hard to try and record, edit the entire thing, and then upload, especially on my slow computer, in one day before midnight. So trying to do it throughout the week and then just combine it all on Friday and upload it, I think is going to be a lot easier on me. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Real talk for just one moment here, okay? My uterus is trying to kill me this week, and I just want to know, why must Mother Nature be such a cold bitch? Hmm? You know what would be a much better option? A small card every month that says, thanks for playing, you're not pregnant, stay safe, love, Mother Nature. Can we get the entire female reproductive system upgraded to that? Because that would be great. Just saying. I also feel the need to tell you guys that I have potato and corn chowder going in my slow cooker right now, and it smells heavenly. Um, I also might have made some s'mores brownie bites earlier in the week, and possibly some chocolate peanut butter banana muffins last night. Be jealous. I will trade all the goodies, though, for someone to be my cleanup person in the kitchen, because making the food and even eating the food is fun. Cleaning up after it? Not so much. <sighs> and yet, that's the reality. You cook it, you clean it up, right? Anyway, I will link to all those recipes in the blog post as well if you are interested in them. Okay, okay, fine. Let's finally move on to the Romance Landia chats, shall we? So, this week on Twitter, Dick Sizes and Romance Landia. Yep, we're at it again. I came across another His Cock Was Wider Than Her Wrist comment, and of course, I had to go to Twitter to share it. Confession. Every time a dick size is referenced in romance, like comparing it to her wrist, or her fingers couldn't go around it, or a 12 inches and growing, yeah, or even the size of a baby's arm, yep, that was actually a line that someone else encountered in a book. Let's take a moment here for a hell no. Anyway, every time I come across something like that, I automatically stop and use my hands to try and picture the size that they're describing in the book. Every time. Luckily, I'm usually, usually not out in public when this happens. Because really, how do you explain to people that you're holding your hands up to calculate dick size? That's going to be an interesting conversation, especially here in my small town in Utah. Instead, I took the dick size convo to romance Twitter, and it turned into quite the fun discussion. And that is why I love Romance Landia. Actually, just this morning, this conversation started up again. I didn't start it though, but I did join in with the size of the penis being described as like, I don't even know, it was it was the wrist size again, but it was also like really, really long and it was just, it was too much. I'll link to that conversation as well though. Jen and I also had a Twitter conversation the other day with a few other reviewers about how we organize and schedule our arc list. And that thread taught me one thing. I am so not organized. And while my current method which really isn't even a method, <laughs> kind of works for me, I'm realizing that a little more organization 
probably wouldn't hurt. If you're a reviewer, check out that thread and let us know about the method to your TBR madness because there was a lot of spreadsheets involved and I'm kind of in awe about the organization skills of some of my fellow reviewers because that ain't me. <laughs> Moving on to the blog recap for the week. First, Jen reviewed Hamilton's Battalion, an anthology from Courtney Milan, Rose Lerner, and Alyssa Cole, giving it a solid five stars and making it a royal pick for October. This anthology has an MM, MF, and FF romance in it, and Jen absolutely adored all three stories. She calls this book a love letter to Americans and a good reminder to all considering our current uh, climate in 2017, shall we say. Pat then reviewed Kimberly Kincaid's latest contemporary, In Too Deep, giving it four stars. She calls it sexy and exciting and also loves the friendships and good-natured banter between the characters. Pat also reviewed Stolen Kisses by Annie Rains, giving it four stars as well. She says Stolen Kisses is a funny, hot, and very romantic friends-to-lovers romance, and she's looking forward to going back to read book one now. There was also the usual post-up this week, lusting for covers on Sunday, new releases on Tuesday, and daily book deals Monday through Saturday. I apologize in advance to your one-click finger, but go get you some books. Next week on the blog, there's a contemporary FF being reviewed by Jen, a fun post from Jen involving sex in a library, you don't want to miss that, as well as the giveaway for October's Royal Picks. That giveaway will go up on Thursday the 26th, so be sure to check back later to enter that. By the way, I talked later on about one of the books I read, which was uh, Bittersweet by Serena Bowen, and I was talking about the series. Book three is currently on sale for 99 cents. I will leave a link to that in the post. You bet your ass I picked that one up real quick last night when I saw that price drop because I had been waiting for that. And book four actually comes out today, Friday. I said during that discussion that it was coming out next month. I was so off on the date. This is why I should actually look things up before I sit down to record. Maybe I'll learn one of these days. As to my reading week, I managed to finish four books, and they were all good to great. Thank God, because I had a few weeks there of not-so-great books, didn't I? Yeah, this week definitely made up for it. So without further ado, let's get into the book discussions. First up, I finished Bittersweet by Serena Bowen, which is a dual first POV. I ended up giving this one four and a half stars, which will make it a royal pick for October. Griffin is an organic apple farmer slash cider maker up in Vermont. Audrey is a chef, or currently training to be a chef, and is currently doing grunt work at a big restaurant corporation. There she's hoping to be able to get her foot in the door and eventually open up her own restaurant. So when this book opens, she's been sent up to Vermont by that company to get fresh produce and products and whatnot from the local farms up there. But her company is kind of a dick and wants to pay shit for, like, shit pay for these high-end high products that the farmers are putting a lot of effort into, a lot of them are organic, very fresh, etc. So because of that, Griffin and the other farmers up there, they're not too keen to agree to anything and work with her company. So she's basically walking back empty-handed to her boss. So this is a second chance romance, kind of. The two had a couple hookups back in college. They went to the same college at the time. He was a senior football star then, and she was the freshman kind of rich party girl. He majored in chemistry, of all things, and he could have made it into the NFL, 
possibly, but his father passed away at that time and he went back home instead to run the farm and that's what he's been doing ever since. She dropped out and eventually found her way to culinary school where she realized that cooking was something she was finally good at. There's an entire storyline going on in here about how, according to her mother, she's never good enough, she's always failing at everything she tries, etc. So you've got kind of all of that conflict going on with her. So I've read Bowen before and I don't recall the books that I read at least being quite this hot. So um, A plus for bringing the heat here. These two were hot as hell together. Seriously. Their first on-page scene was an outdoor shower scene that was really, really steamy and it only went up from there. So there's a time later on where he's teasing her while they're in the bar and putting his hand under the table and up her leg and whatever and she has to pretend indifference while his fingers are slowly making their way towards her vagina. You know, not not at all a hard thing to do. No, of course not. That's totally easy to play like there's nothing going on. And she tells him that turnabout is only fair play. He better watch out. So later when they're in the car and they've got one of the other farm workers in the back seat, she's talking to the farm worker in the back seat while her hands are over in his lap with her hands down into his pants while he's driving. So those scenes were both like fun and hot. And of course it led to more once they got home safely and didn't have anyone else around. Look, okay, Apple Farm do it better. That's all I'm gonna say. Griffin had a bit of a dirty mouth on him and loved to get dirty and I am totally here for both of those things. I want my own Griffin, okay? That's all I'm gonna say. I loved seeing the farm work that was going on and his family and his interactions with them as well as with the community. I really enjoyed those portions of it. I didn't find that boring or anything. That was just, I enjoyed that as much as I did watching their relationship grow. And the food, you guys, oh my gosh, the food. Okay, so don't read this book while you're hungry. Just don't do it to yourself. Of course, even if you're like completely full and you just had dinner or whatever and you read this, you're still going to want to eat all the food that they describe. All of it. Every last bit of it. I wanted literally every damn thing that was ever brought up in here. And I love when food is such a part of a romance like that. I love... I love hearing about what they like to cook and what combinations they want to put together. I find that fascinating. I always have. In fact, you know, I really need to find the recipe for the lemon scones that Audrey mentions here because I, my mouth is still drooling at the thought of that. And I could go off on a tangent about how scones, like what's mentioned here and what most of you guys know as scones, are not what Utah knows as a scone, but I won't get into that. That's an entire different conversation. Regardless, if you have a good recipe for a lemon scone, hit a girl up because I really want that. I really want all the recipes in this book, but for some reason the thought of a lemon scone is just, it's hitting just right for me right now. So there was so much about this book that I truly loved. I mean, hence the high rating and the royal pick status. But that doesn't mean that this book was perfect. There were some issues with it, and even though I loved the rest of the book so much, I'm not going to let those issues slide. So you're ready for me to call some shit out? You know I'm going to call some shit out. There's a fact that... A few times throughout the book, the words slave wages, slave workers, and slaves come into play. And that is just a big giant hell fucking no, white authors, don't do this. They, those words do not belong in your romance, in your story, ever, 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 ever. Here's an example of the quote with it in. Their business model seemed to depend on slaves like me. As an intern, I was expected to work 70 hours a week for very low pay. They called the paycheck a stipend only because it sounded better than slave wages. Oh, Serena Bowen, why'd you do that? Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't care 
how shitty this company was. I don't care that they didn't want to pay anyone the wages they earned. That doesn't mean you can throw around the words slave and slave workers and slave wages because those have very, very, very specific and horrible meaning and connotation and history and all of that stuff to it. I think sometimes authors forget that word choice is very important and words hold a lot of meaning and power. And you can't just throw slave anything around like that, most especially when it's talking about a white character written by a white author and you're using the word of comparing her to her and the rest of the workers to slaves and slave workers. Don't do that. Just don't. And I understand that that alone would make some readers either DNF this book or, you know, give it a really low rating. I totally get that. I am in no way, shape or form going to make an excuse for this being in the book. I am here calling it out for a reason because it pissed me off. But everything else in the book, uh, with the exception of one other thing I'm going to get to, everything else in the book was great for me. So I'm, yes, going to stick with the high rating for the book overall, but I'm going to continue to call out the shit and point out here like I am and also on my reviews wherever I post them that that is not okay that this was in there. And I'm surprised that her editor did not bring that up because... Wow, yeah, that should not have gotten past. So the other issue that I had in here, you know, shit that I'm going to call out, is a quote where the hero is thinking of his customers as, quote, lazy people. So he says, or he's thinking, it's internal monologue here, they couldn't decide who would take the first shift driving lazy people the quarter mile through the orchard to the ginger gold apples. Why'd you do that, Griffin? Seriously? That thought doesn't take into account a person's limited mobility, whether that could be from their age or disability or whatever. It's just, well, these people are getting on the wagon to go that quarter mile, therefore they must be lazy. And that is just, uh, don't do that. Don't do that, authors. Why? Why? Okay, there's a couple things here. Besides the fact that that was very much an ableism-filled statement, it's also the fact of, you know, how about just a general rule of thumb that don't think of your customers as lazy or any other insulting words. I mean, that just should be a given. Maybe don't think of the people that's going to come and buy your stuff as lazy for any reason at all. And then besides those two very important reasons why this statement was wrong, here's a simple kind of common sense one, okay? Right before that, he mentions that people come there for the whole experience, not just for buying this fruit. They come there for the experience of the apple picking there in Vermont. So the experience of picking apples in the fall includes wagon rides. That's just, oh, come on, Griffin, for fuck's sake. Why did you say that? Again, I don't really know how that was missed other than the fact that it's just a throwaway line in the middle of a thing that I'm sure most people would just kind of read over and think, oh, okay. If she had taken out the insult to them being lazy people, it still would have kept the, the entire purpose of that sentence in place. That was not needed. That was, that shouldn't have been there. It shouldn't have been there. A couple of other smaller issues, not nearly the gripes of those me calling shit out that I just did, but just kind of smaller issues within the story itself. So I was kind of unsure on the timeline for most of this book. I think this was barely takes place over a couple of months, but honestly, a lot of the time, like a lot of the scenes and stuff, it, it seemed like this was a lot longer of a time frame than it was, and I was just kind of unsure. Now, in all fairness, some of the chapters do say starting of August or... November or whatever like it does actually give me months on some of the chapters but it just felt like more was happening than what could fit within that time frame does that make sense so I was just kind of a little bit unsure on that sometimes I had a 
kind of a harder time connecting to Audrey and her flighty personality. Sometimes she seemed immature, but other times I could actually kind of relate to her and didn't mind her character as much. I was kind of up and down with her. I think I liked Griffin a lot more and his, you know, his love for his family and his passion for the farm and or at least for his cider and his sense of responsibility in that and with Audrey I had a little bit harder time really liking her which is not to say that I hated her it's just I had moments either way with her one thing that was kind of bad on this one is they almost went the route of the ex-girlfriend or rather hookup who's out for revenge BS but instead Zara which was Griffin's former fuck buddy, basically. She was great, and she actually becomes a good friend with Audrey, and it looks like Zara will be getting her own book, so yay for that. I love that. But why write it like that to begin with, as if she was going to turn into that bitchy ex screwing things up, and then, oh, nope, just kidding, she's going to be a good person. Like, why did you even have to go there and cast doubt on her character to begin with? That was just kind of lazy writing and trying to slip too much into the stereotypes that we need to get rid of in Romance Landia. Yay for the fact that she isn't the bitchy ex and she's going to get her own book, but, uh, you know, side-eye for trying to frame it that way to begin with at all because that was unnecessary. Like I said, I really did love this one. It was enjoyable. I loved being in this small-town Vermont world that Bowen has created. I loved seeing some of these characters. I loved all the food that was being talked about. I just, I loved this story. It wasn't perfect, I mean, I, I pointed out some things to you guys. It wasn't perfect, but it was really, and really, I don't know, entertaining for me. And especially after the last few, I want to say the last few weeks where I've had a lot of more of the misses instead of hits on my reading list, this was just a great escape for me. And I am definitely looking forward to the rest of the series. I have book two already on my Kindle that I bought on sale. I'm waiting for book three to go on sale at some point. And then book four, I think, comes out is it the end of this month or the beginning of next month? I can't be sure. But there will be a book four, I know that, and it's almost out. So yeah, I'll hopefully be able to get to the rest of this series soon because I definitely am looking forward to seeing everyone again. From there, I moved on to finishing up my audiobook, Temptations of a Wallflower by Eva Lee, narrated by Eva Christensen. I ended up giving this one four stars. So you have Sarah, who is the daughter of a duke, she is known as the watching wallflower because she is obviously a little bit more shy and reserved in the society, but she's also watching everyone because secretly she is a writer of a very popular erotic fiction. Jeremy is the youngest son of an earl. He's also a country vicar. Now that was more of his father's decision for him than his own. He enjoys what he does, but it's not exactly his passion, and it definitely wouldn't have been his first choice. So Jeremy's father basically has a hard-on for getting rid of all things that are sinful and ruining society, and he decides to give his son the task of finding this erotic author and revealing him or her to society so as to ruin the author and quit the publication of these books. Obviously, these two meet up without realizing that he's the one that's trying to figure out who she is and that she is the one writing the books, and it goes from there. There was some scenes that I really enjoyed. One of them is when they're both visiting this erotic art display that's going through London, and she's viewing it all as, you know, research, very 
interested in what's going on in each exhibit piece and looking for more inspiration for her writing. I mean, obviously, she is the daughter of a duke. She is very much uh, a virgin, but she's got some dirty thoughts that's helping her to write these things, but she still needs some more fodder to use for her books. So she finds this exhibit very interesting, and Jeremy is not unaffected by it as well, <laughs> to put it lightly. So looking at these pieces and talking about it as they're going along, it's getting both of them, it's getting both of them a bit hot and bothered, but he's so aroused by it and by her being there. It's not just looking at the pictures, it's looking at the pictures while he's next to her who he's very much attracted to and seeing her ask these questions about what's going on in the pictures and all that. That combined is what arouses him. It's not just him looking at random porn, okay? Nothing wrong with that, but I'm just trying to give you some context for this. So he's so aroused by this that he, after he drops her off at home or whatever, he rushes back to his place, goes up to his bedchamber, locks his door, and literally just starts jerking off. Palm against his bed frame, his other hand is going to work in his pants, and I just, oh, fuck, I need a moment, you guys. Okay, it just, it wasn't an overly long or explicit scene, by any means, but that scene Oh, the way that it was built up before then, from the tension between them and everything, and then the way that it was actually written, it played as this very hot, very quick porn movie in my mind. And me likey. Me likey a lot. Uh, if you remember last week's Twitter conversation where I was talking about the hottest thing is a, in that case, a historical hero jerking off in his bedchamber, this is what it was from. I can link back to that Twitter conversation, and I also managed to get the ebook of this from my library just the other day and pulled some quotes from it to share on Twitter, including the jerk-off scene. I will link to those quotes in the blog post as well, so be sure to check it out if you want to see those. There was another scene that really stood out, and yeah, it kind of also relates back to sex. But they go to this sex club slash orgy thing that they've got there in London, a you know, secret society one, of course. Neither one of them know who the other is. They, they're each going separately, and they're each in disguise. So when they meet up there, she doesn't know she's meeting Jeremy. Jeremy doesn't know that that is Sarah. So this sex club is really, really delicious and tempting as they're walking through it, and they're seeing what's going on. And I only wish that they had spent more time at the club because my dirty mind just wanted to, you know, sit and watch everyone in action. I'd like a whole series just centered around that club. Actually, I'd really like to see the owner of that club. I'd like to see her get a story because she sounds interesting and it seems like it was kind of hinted at that maybe one of her bodyguards and her had something going on and I want that story. I'm just saying. Another thing that I really loved about this club though is it's very queer friendly. So there is pairings of all sorts going on around in the club. Men and men, women and women, you know, etc. And I just, I appreciate that, especially in a historical, because apparently people still seem to think that queerness is something brand new to like 2000, and uh, it's not. But anyway, I just appreciated seeing that, even if it was more, um, you know, as a background thing rather than a main story. But who knows, maybe, maybe we'll get something more from Eva. A little while after that, they decide to marry. He needs to marry to begin with, and he likes her, and she wants to marry because she's hoping that that will throw the scent off of whoever's trying to track down her as an author. It was kind of, I was kind of unsure of what exactly led to this sudden decision for them to marry, but they marry, and all's good. I'm, I'm okay with that. So like I said, she is a virgin, but he is like nearly a virgin. He had one previous partner, and it sounds like they only maybe were together once or twice. So for all intents and purposes, he is a virgin as well. 
their first time together as their on their wedding night it is quick and it's disappointing and it is so far from perfect but that's okay i actually really liked that because it was realistic and felt like it fit their situation as basically two virgins. And, of course, it's going to get better. You guys know, in Romance Landy especially, it's going to get better. So it does. They make up for it with practice and actual communication, which is always a fuck yes in Romance Landia and in real life. After his little disappointing quickie, he does give her all sorts of pleasure the rest of the night, and it is not lacking in the heat department. I mean, if you think that all historicals are still closed door and flowery prose and vagueness. Mm -mm. Nope. Eva Lee does it just straight out there. So I would say that the first 75% or so of this book I really truly enjoyed. I have really no complaints about it. I was leaning towards a four and a half star rating at that point. But then, well, her secret comes out and shit went downhill and my rating went closer to a three star, so I evened it out to the four stars for the entire book. So what exactly caused that dip in the rating? It was actually caused by his reaction to finding out that she was the writer. First of all, it felt very, very out of character for him and for who he had been built up to be to this sudden change in how he was reacting. The thing that really bothered me is his reaction wasn't so much a you betrayed me and I'm hurt about it as it was how dare you a woman do this. Didn't you think of how it would ruin me and how it would ruin those around you and maybe even how it ruin your own reputation? It just felt so condescending and selfish of an attitude that he was giving her. Not so much that he was hurt that she had lied to him even though that wouldn't have even worked because she had been writing long before he came along anyway so you can't be mad at her for something she was doing before you came into the picture buddy. He took a snide attitude to her curiosity and liking of sex, you know, learning about it, writing about it, and that pissed me off as well because dude shut the fuck up. You've literally been fucking her ten times a day and you're going to take that attitude over her showing an interest in any sex that's not revolving around your own dick? No. No. You can just fuck right off with that. So his bullshit words and reaction took what was going to be that four and a half star read for me and automatically knocked it down to four stars. Yes, he later apologizes, and although really I didn't quite buy the apology, I didn't feel like it was exactly authentic to what I wanted for his groveling, and I didn't really forgive him completely. From there, it was kind of a quick rush to wrap up the book. He finally grows a pair and actually stands up to his dad, which was another problem I had with his character all along. You know, they live happily ever after. The end. The narrator here has a truly lovely voice. I really enjoyed her performance. She's actually a great match for this book, and I think a great match for historical romances in general, so I will definitely be listening to more that she does. So Temptations of a Wallflower didn't end up being the flawless read that I had hoped for, but it was still really, really good, especially for the bulk of the book. Probably my favorite of the series, even with the kind of disappointing and frustrating latter part of this book. I shared a couple quotes that were talking more about women's sexuality and the reading of basically, you know, erotica for within this book, which would be closer to reading romances and erotica for us now. I think you guys would really like those quotes, so I will leave a link to those because those quotes were just 
so much truth being spoken right there. Ivalee's writing is great. Her writing voice and style is great. So I definitely recommend her if you have not yet tried any of her historicals. She also writes as Zoe Archer for more like sci-fi fantasy type romances, I believe. I have not read any of those, but I know some readers are a fan of those as well as her historicals. So this one was still a great read had some issues there towards the end, but you know what? I would recommend this on audio especially. I think that is where, because of the narration, the story in that really comes to life. I would say if you're going to listen to or read any of this series, go with the audiobook version. I think you'll very much enjoy that, and you'll enjoy the stories overall as well, so. From there, I moved on to an older arc from my pile. It is, of course, available right now for you guys. That is Before the Dawn by Cynthia Eden. I ended up giving this one three and a half stars. I was kind of wavering between three and a half and four, and at first I did four. Anyway, I ended up thinking on it overnight, went back to three and a half. I still really enjoyed this one, though. So this is a romantic suspense, second chance. Their pasts are really, really fucked up, though. Tucker's brother, Jason, was a serial killer. He was known as the Iceman. He had a type, that a victim he would go after. It was always a young, college-aged, beautiful blonde. And he would torture him by cutting him in certain places, very precise cuts and stabs that were meant to hurt and leave scars, but it would not kill them. His way of killing them was by then tying them up and putting them in a freezer and leaving them there to literally freeze to death. And then he would leave them there in the freezer until, until eventually the cops would find his next body, because he would always make sure that they were finding it when he wanted them to find it. Never find evidence, of course, but that they would find the bodies. Anyway, the Iceman tried to torture and kill Dawn, who was Tucker's girlfriend. Tucker showed up and long story short, ended up killing Jason before he could do anything to Dawn. Besides, she did get cuts and stuff, but she was not put into the freezer. In the aftermath of that, they went their own ways. Tucker looks almost like Jason's twin. So you can imagine that really fucked with Dawn because she had a hard time being able to look at him and not see her, her actual nightmares come back to life, to not see Jason the Iceman there instead. So this is seven years later that this book takes place, and Tucker and Dawn meet up again because someone has started killing again in Dawn's city. She's moved to a different part. Um, she's moved to New Orleans. It was originally they were from Baton Rouge, if I remember correctly. Anyway, now in New Orleans where she is, now there's killing starting up again, and they look just like the Iceman's signature killings. But the Iceman is dead. Or is he? You're kind of left trying to figure out who could be doing this, who knew so much about it, who was able to copy this so precisely and know things that the Iceman had said only to Dawn before, before uh, Tucker ever showed up that night. Things like that that kind of make you wonder what's going on. Kind of gives you a little bit of a mind fuck. Eden's good at that. So Dawn is now a private investigator. And Tucker, who was a SEAL, back before he killed his brother and all of that, he was already a SEAL, and after he got out, he became an FBI agent. He is now working a specialized unit of the FBI where they go after serial killers, and his unit is very specialized in that everyone on the team has some sort of connection to a previous serial killer. So obviously Tucker was the brother to one, another member on his team was the lover to a serial killer and never knew it until the end. Um, another one on their team was a survivor of a serial killer, well, an attempt, obviously, if she survived. So the, the team is very much intimately knows the workings of serial killers and what how their minds can work and stuff like that. 
So this story definitely kept me guessing, like I said, who the killer was. I would say about maybe 80% or so in, I started to wonder about one or two of the characters, but even then I truly didn't know for sure until, well, until they found out in the book who it was. So I think Eden did a good job of keeping the mystery and the suspense there going and keeping you guessing. Now, I don't read a whole lot of romantic suspense or thrillers or stuff like that, so perhaps what I think of as, well, I was kept in the dark for a long time and I, I didn't catch on, maybe other readers who are more familiar with the genre would say, well, I saw that a mile off. So take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> It kept me guessing, at least, so I liked that. Eden definitely does very gritty, romantic, suspense, thriller, murder mysteries, whatever you want to call this type of story, right? Um, and she does a great job at it. I don't read, like I said, I don't read these type of books very often, but when I do, I trust Eden to provide a good story, one that might give me some shivers and uh, moments a time or two, but she also gives me some hot chemistry between all that action and fear, and that's what I got here in this story, so I was, I was happy with that. I will say that the romance was a bit weak here. So as a second chance, like I've said this before, I really need more. I need to know what they were like the first time around before things fell apart and then they changed and they're coming back together again. I know obviously what fell apart, having the brother of your lover try to kill you and all that, that's going to put a big old issue in the middle of your relationship. But we never got to see them together before that, before that big black fucked up moment. We never got to see their relationship that originally had them falling in love and caring for each other. And I wanted to see that to understand where they were coming from now when they're trying to start their relationship again. Now, I realize that so much has changed from them between those early, you know, I don't know, late teens, early 20, their relationship years, to having that happen with Jason and then the seven years that has passed since before they're starting up again. They have changed as people. That's just, that's a fact. I don't expect them to be the same people they were when they first fell in love, but I needed to see them when they first fell in love. You know, I needed to see that base of this romance that was being built upon again. And we just didn't get that. I also felt like I didn't get enough of the romance, the current romance, the second chance romance, in on page two I don't know, to fully connect with their relationship, I guess. I was left wanting more from it. And especially since the two of them had issues finally opening up and fully trusting one another with their secrets and with their fears and stuff like that, that took quite a ways into the book before that happened. So that on top of the romance often taking kind of a back seat to the rest of the story means that I think the romance was a little bit weak here. Just, just a little bit. Still good. It wasn't a fail, but it just wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be. I need more of a balance, I suppose, between the romance and, you know, the suspense and action, and I just didn't quite get that here. I would also say that the ending was rushed, just like the story ending and also the happily ever after ending of it was rushed, and I guess the story itself could have been a little bit tighter. I suppose if I really thought about it, I could pick apart little bits that maybe weren't wrapped up as much as they should have been, or maybe weren't delved into as much as I would have liked. But still, overall, this was a really good one, and I would definitely recommend it. Like I said, uh, just like I don't read this very often, I know that these type of suspense are not going to be for everyone, because you do usually get quite a bit of detail about, in this case, the murders, and 
you often get some of it from the murderer's point of view as well. And stuff like that is not, that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, which I get. It's not really mine all that often. But if you're in the market for a good suspense and you want to kind of be right in the middle of that action and trying to figure out who's doing it and a little bit of a mind fuck going on, but also have some really great chemistry going between the couple... I would say check this one out. This is book two in this series. I did not read book one. I was fine. I, I wasn't lost in anything, but I'll probably eventually go back to the first one, and I think there might have been a prequel novel before it as well. Novella, I mean, before that, but uh, I'll probably go back to it. I've enjoyed Eden before. I think my favorite from her, and now I'm not going to remember the title, it was about a serial arsonist, and it the title has something with heat or fire. Deadly heat? I think it might be deadly heat. Or Deadly Fire. I will link to it. Um, but that one was one that I, I think last year or maybe earlier this year, and I really enjoyed that one. The thing is, I listened to that one and one other on audio, and so when I was reading this one in an ebook form, I kept hearing the narrator's voice from those ones going through as I was reading these words. Have you guys had that happen? If you have listened to a certain narrator for a certain author or series, and then you read that same series or author, do you have that narrator's voice automatically stuck to that author's writing style and words. Like, do you know what I'm saying? I've had this happen before, and I think I've brought it up before, but it always kind of makes me pause when this happens, and I'm going, whose voice am I hearing in my head? This is kind of weird. Oh, right, it's a narrator that I listened to two years ago, but here they are, back again, because I'm reading this author. It's always kind of a weird moment. But overall, I think this was a good one, and um, I'm definitely kind of curious about the next book, I think is out in December, which will be obviously another one of the FBI agents on his team. Actually, I think this one will be between two of the FBI agents on his team. One of them was the survivor that I mentioned before, and the other one, I can't remember how his connection was to a serial killer, but regardless, I will be curious to see what their story is like in December. Although with the way my TBR pile is, let's be honest, I'll probably find out like five years from now, because that's just how it is. <laughs> Finally, I finished up another audiobook, an Indecent Proposal by Katie Robert, narrated by Charlotte North. I gave this one four and a half stars, making it an October royal pick as well. Olivia is a single mom. She's currently working at a bar there in Boston. She's trying desperately to keep away from her family, especially for the sake of her young daughter. Olivia's father was the leader of the Russian mob back in New York. Her half-brother is now the leader and is trying to bring her back into the family fold. Her ex, and also the father to her daughter, is like a, I don't know, right-hand man to her half-brother anyway. And she was in that life for far too long. She knows what everyone was capable of, and that's not what she wanted. She wanted out, so she got out, and she's trying to keep away from all of that, keep it away from her daughter. Killian is the son of the Irish mob boss in Boston. He's doing kind of like the money in the accounts for the family, both legal and otherwise. He used to be the irresponsible drunk party boy of the family until one of his brothers was killed by a rival group. And Killian feels responsible for that, partly, because Devlin had only been out that night to get Killian's drunk ass home when they were ambushed and Devlin died from it. So he's holding a lot of guilt over that, and I guess the one good thing that came of it is obviously he's moved away from the drink and has stepped forward and stepped up. So these two start the book off with a bang. Literally. It is a hard and dirty quickie up against the alley wall behind the bar, 
and the heat stays way up through the rest of the book. I mean, yeah, I'm not complaining. Nope. For example, there was the dry humping scene in the back of his town car. Yep, that was a thing. And the keep fingering yourself while I go grab the condom upstairs scene later on. Oh, damn. Yep, that is all. That is all. And let's not forget the fun in front of a mirror. Guys, guys, stop me, okay? Before this turns into an episode of how many hot sex scenes can TBQ name in one hour? Because I could probably play that game forever. But what I really loved here, besides the hot sex, was that he was always making sure that she was consenting to it all. He knew that she was struggling with wanting him, but also not wanting to get involved with him because of his family and her past and the fact that she does not want to get into that world again. So she wants him, but she doesn't want to get mixed up with that again. So he was always stopping to check in to make sure that she was doing this because she wanted to and she knew so that she knew that he was not trying to use her desire and attraction against her and guys consent is sexy as hell and this was just it was sexy coming from him and it made my heart just oh it made my heart happy as well but even better even better you guys it gets better this moved beyond the bedroom he was always asking her what she wanted to do rather than just jumping in with his dick swinging and taking over her life. Even when she asked him for help getting out of the city, he respected her choices and he didn't just barrel over her in the name of protecting her. Guys, that's my kind of hero, okay? He was protective and alpha and sexy, but he wasn't an alpha dickhole about it. I just, he's perfect. He was literally perfect. Where's my Killian? That's that's all I want to know. Where's my own Killian, okay? I also loved that when she's still firmly in the we're just going to fuck each other's brains out and walk away phase, which, hold on, fuck yes, get it girl. Um, he's already starting to have feelings and wants more from her, and guys, I'm a sucker for that dynamic. I'm always a sucker for that dynamic. I just loved these two. I loved them as a couple, and I loved them as characters. Olivia was strong and fierce, and Killian was just ah, perfect, like I've already said. And these two together nearly burned my ears off while I was walking the dog in the cold morning hours. And I have no complaints about that. <laughs> By the way, if I had not listened to this on audio, I can guarantee you I would have spent this entire time mispronouncing his name and making a fool of myself. Because no way would I have ever looked at his name and realized that it was Killian. I would have been trying to give it like a Cillian. Acelian? I would have been giving it all these odd pronunciations, but listening to it on audio for, you know, like eight hours, I know it's Killian. 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 Okay. Just thought I'd share that with you guys because I have noticed that more and more now that I'm doing this as a podcast where I'm realizing, oh shoot, I should probably know how to say the names that normally I'm just, you know, you read over it in your mind while you're reading a book, but you rarely ever actually take the time to figure out how to pronounce it or know if you're pronouncing something incorrectly or not. Well, now I have to worry about that just for you guys. So there's that. So what do we call this kind of romance anyway? It's contemporary as far as setting and time, obviously, but that's not at all accurate. It's not quite suspense. I don't think so, at least. But then I guess there are moments of suspense and action in it. I just don't know that I would look at this book or this series and think, oh, that's romantic suspense. 
it's not a dark romance because to me dark romances go way 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 beyond anything that this series even dreams of so what does that leave us with mafia romance with suspense I don't know. You guys let me know. What would you classify this type of series as? Because I'm just not quite sure where to put it. I just kind of put a whole bunch of labels on it and hope it sticks. <laughs> Regardless of whatever you call it, I know that not everyone wants to read about the heroes that are part of organized crime in any form. So I get that this is yet another book where it may not work for everyone. But I really do love this series. It's hot like I've went over a few times, just a few, and it's kind of gritty, and it's kind of addicting. The series definitely gets better with each book. This one was totally my favorite one so far, but the previous books were great too, don't get me wrong, and hot. Don't forget that. You really, you can't forget that. I'd say you definitely need to read the series in order so you know who all the players are in this power struggle going on. I'm currently on the wait list for the next book, but I'm like number 16 on one copy, so I think it'll probably be a month or two before I'm reading uh, Sloane's book, which is Killian's younger sister, and she's going to fall for Jude, who is the neighbor next door. Sloane has run off because she wants to get away from the family and that life, and where she's hiding out, Jude is the one next door, and from what I got from the little preview in here, Jude might be out to get her new sister-in-law. So yeah, that should be an interesting setup there. But in case you couldn't tell, this book totally hit all my good spots for me. <laughs> you could take that two ways, couldn't you? Especially since I was going on and on about all the hotness in it. You know what? I'm gonna just leave that in because it did hit all my good spots for me. That's all. <laughs> so I am currently reading Love in Dublin by Jennifer Grayson. I'm almost done with it. Well, I think I'm about 50% when I'm recording this, but by the time you guys hear this episode, I should be done with it. Anyway, I can tell you this much right now. This is a great read. I am loving it, loving it. It releases on the 31st. It has an Irish hero who is in his 40s and an American travel writer in her 30s. And guys, the hero is awesome and he's totally a beta hero and it's just it's perfect. I have no complaints so far. I have nothing that I can sit and tell you guys that's wrong with it. Now true, that could change before next week, but I kind of doubt it. I will definitely be talking about it next week. I think I'm going to try to do a actual review on this one. It's been like more than a month, I think, since I did an actual review. I've just been doing a lot of my reviews on the podcast here, which is great and I love it, but I do need to get back into also doing actual reviews on the blog. So I might try doing this one in a review. If I do, and if it's up before the next podcast, I will probably only briefly talk about it next week. I just don't know. But you'll hear about it one way or the other, and I can tell you already, it's a great book, and I really think you should go pick it up or pre-order it, and then pick it up on Halloween as a lovely treat to yourself. After that, I think I'll move on to The Professional by Cressley Cole, especially since I only have like 13 days left to read it because it's a library ebook that I have. I adore Cole's Immortals After Dark series and even her historicals, so let's see how this one goes. And I think this one is also kind of a mafia type one. That was an unintentional back-to-back -back type of read. I swear, this is just how the books came in on my lineup of library holds, which I placed like months ago on some of these, so. My current audiobook is Mr. President by Katie Evans. I just started it this morning. I really don't have anything to say yet, but this will be my first one from Evans. 
it's the only one that my library had and it was available, so I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. What about you? Tell me what you're reading this weekend. I want to know. Also, are you ready for Halloween? Did you go out and buy another bag of candy yet? You know, to replace that one that you bought a month ago, but then secretly ate? Come on, you know you do that. You know it. Everyone does it, right? Right? It's not just me. Actually, I haven't even bought any candy yet. I am way behind, so I best get on that. We don't get very many trick-or-treaters here, though. So whatever I end up buying pretty much just ends up being my candy anyway, so... I hope you enjoyed this week's Whatcha Reading Chat. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend and fall in love with some truly fantastic books. Until next time, enjoy. TBQ.